to screw it we're just going to talk about comics that's comic books everybody the only podcast in all of recorded human history where two brothers talk i'm one of the two brothers my name is will hines <laughs> the only podcast where brothers <laughs> talk at all it never happens this is the only if you want to hear brothers talk to each other this is the only place that you can i don't do even it. know if you said talk to each other it's just whether we brothers. just talk i'm not a, I, i'm not even counting on that i'm just we're at least going to monologue separately and maybe we'll interact We've already interacted, so that's already cleared the bar. Wow. My problem. Interesting, interesting. Uh, I'm Kevin Hines. I'm the other brother who can talk. Mm-hmm. And um, we're comedian-ish, and we're lifelong comic book fans. In this podcast, we talk about comic books that we're interested in. Um, this episode, we're going over the last two issues of the Daredevil arc, which called Born Again, issues 232 and 233. Yes, this is definitely a comic we are interested in. So mm-hmm. this fits the uh, qualification. Yeah. Well, if it's qualification, because it's two brothers talking. Right. And, but and you then, then said that we were going to, we, this podcast, we talk about comics we're interested in. Okay. Right. So, um, yeah. And what, and this is by Frank Miller and Dave Mazzicelli. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about this and I'm excited, Kev. We're finishing it up today. Yeah. I just reread them this morning. So uh, it's fresh in my mind. And um, how do they hold up? Um, they're great. I think they're really fun. Um, the the nuke aspect of it, they fight a villain named Nuke in this issue, mm-hmm. almost feels like um, just an adventure, right? It just feels like, oh, this is something, in a little bit of a way, it, it, because it's like this two-issue fight with this character named Nuke, it almost feels disconnected from the Matt Murdock losing his identity thing. Mm-hmm. But really, it's the last step of like, uh, Matt Murdock regaining his new identity or kind of gaining his new identity as Daredevil and Matt Murdock and the Kingpin making one last thrash to try to knock him down. Yeah, uh, it's, kind of, it's in a way he defeats the Kingpin sort of here. Yeah, I, like just like the first five issues, there's no supervillains. There's no like it's it's more all it's all just well, sort of Kingpin it, behind the scenes. Yeah, and then this is like there's a guy to like punch and fight. Yeah, um, like we were saying originally, uh, these two issues are so, were sometimes not grouped with the "quote unquote" born again saga. Although that's insane to me. Like this yeah. is definitely the end of the thing. I guess it was like the first time it was collected. It was just five issues, which is just that just shows they weren't good at collecting things yet. Like Miller Mazzucchelli had a seven issue run, and they collected five of the seven issues and released it. Yeah. It's weird. Um, um, so, Kevin, yeah. where where are we left off when we begin these two issues? Um, What's happened well, so far? Well, unfortunately, Paolo, the hero the, the of hero the first of five the issues, is, is gone. has gone to jail. He's been yeah. shot, and he's gone to jail. The only good uh, man. Uh, no, what what uh, Kingpin has tried to destroy Matt Murdock's life. Uh, Kingpin learned that Matt Murdock and Daredevil were one and the same, so he destroyed his life, uh, uh, ruined his career, blew up his building bankrupted him and uh daredevil fought back and uh, um regained his sanity and at the same time karen page the uh junkie heroin addict porn star who had <laughs> sold his identity to the drug dealers uh and that was being hunted down by the kingpin who wanted to kill anyone else who knew the secret of uh, matt murdoch uh she has 
escaped all those gunmen and reunited with Matt Murdock at the end of the last issue. So she's been hunting for Matt because Matt's the only person who can protect the damsel in distress. Mm -hmm. And they've reunited at the end of the last issue. Yeah. Um, Good summary. And so like you say, Matt Murdock has sort of fully recovered from the mental torture of the Kingpin. He's now fully in his senses and capabilities. And the Kingpin in these two issues has sort of one last gasp to flush him out and just take care of him somehow in some undescribed way. The Kingpin has been getting sloppier. He's getting uh, initially, this is just sort of like he was toying with his prey and when he wasn't able to kill Matt Murdock, he sort of he sort of has lost a little bit of his focus, yeah. and is kind of using more resources. We saw in the last couple of issues that his uh, lieutenants were sort of like we're spending a lot on trying to destroy Matt Murdock for some reason. Yeah, and Kingpin sort of put you know ignored all those uh, discussions, so they were valid complaints from his lieutenants. And now uh, he's going to go even further. He's losing even more focus. He's going to put even more resources and take even bigger risks to once and for all take out. Uh, Kingpin feels indestructible is something Mm -hmm. that is explored in this issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, he is just putting all his resources into destroying Matt Murdock slash Daredevil, as my son calls him, Daredevil. (laughs) Um, And that is what's happening. What um, I really enjoyed these two issues and something I, I liked about it sort of in the kind of like broader Frank Miller thing is Frank Miller. I mean, this is just personal taste, right? This, this is just my own personal opinion, but Frank Miller gets more and more of sort of like right wing leaning as he goes on kind of like tough guy vigilante, like the system yeah. fails, the government fails, the weaklings and the press and the intellectuals hobble the good guys with the guns. And it gets to be more and more sort of like, I don't know, annoyingly like tough guy or something. I, it's not even right wing. It's just sort of like the weaklings and crybabies are on one side and the yeah. the, the tough guys who are willing to pick up a weapon yeah, and beat he, the bad he, guys are on the other. And this, He this shifted that way and 9-11 seemed to have shifted him even further that way. Yeah, so this this in these two issues, Nuke kind of is a nice balance – to that because nuke is sort of like a the crazy side of a vigilante like somebody whose patriotism is totally distorted someone who's completely nuts and it kind of serves from my reader's perspective to like make fun uh not make fun of but to undermine the idea that the tough guys are always right like here's a tough guy who's totally wrong Right. It's it seems like I thought the same thing when I was reading it. It's like, oh, Nuke reads like closer to what Frank Miller is now. So it's yeah. funny that he created a character that sort of parodies that it, is sort, sort of, of like oh, the press is the enemy. Um yeah. and like war is necessary. Yeah, and never ending. Yeah. And it, and it, and because it's coming from Nuke in this comic, it's clearly the wrong perspective. You're not supposed to finish these issues and go, man, Nuke had it Nuke right. is a is a is a good guy. You like yeah. this Nuke guy is a broken person, and the government and army construct around him is sort of largely broken. Uh, but now I would say Frank Miller is closer to Nuke <laughs> uh, uh, than not, I guess. Yeah, and. Um, 
Captain America's in these issues, and we see that he very pointedly does not follow orders or like do what the government says. He's an independent thinker, loyal to the American dream, not the American military. Yeah. So there's, I don't know, not that comics have to be like liberal or lefty to be good at all, but there just seems to be a balance in these issues that that you lose in later Frank Miller stuff. Yeah, and I, to be fair, it's not like I've read interviews with current Frank Miller. It's more just us gleaning right. it from his we are the, as, his later writings. We are, as always, a little bit idiots. Like, we're not 100% experts. Who knows? I mean, like, there's but, a chance that Frank Miller's writing all this stuff now and going, this stuff's hilarious that I'm saying this when it's not something he believes, for all I know. But it, it's certainly yes. he writes it enough that it's like, you believe it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he's always been a guy who's written tough guys. Yes, he's always like... It's it's not like Daredevil is a guy who is looking for the peaceful way out of a situation. No, he's looking to punch the guys into you know into submission, like like yeah. a Masal superheroes. Yeah, uh, but but Frank Miller has always sort of reveled in that side of it in his writing. He's been drawn to the characters who are a little more violent, uh, a little more raw. Yeah. So you know it's not you know it's not like Frank Miller was never. Um, writing uh, um he's never going to write a squirrel girl comic that you know although it'd be interesting because i I do yeah yeah i totally agree you can't imagine that but it'd be interesting to see what he would do because in addition to his sort of like um tastes which is like you know gritty you know uh bleak worlds where one brave hero stands against the the forces of evil. Um, he's also a good storyteller, right? He's also a guy who really knows his way yeah. around the mechanics of a comic book. And what if just like he had, it's like, you got to write a squirrel girl story. Yeah. And you, it's got to be a four issue arc on power pack. And it's, and it can't be a Frank Miller story. It's got to be a, a good power pack story. Just use your abilities as a writer yeah. to do that. You know, he, he'd probably be yeah, great. He could like, do it. I think he wouldn't. I think he'd say, no, thanks. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> Be interesting to uh, once we get in charge of Marvel and we're given an unlimited budget. Once we hire Frank Miller to do a Power Pack reunion, it'd be interesting. Yeah, here's your ten million dollars. We'll Can't say, say no to that. Can't say no. We want four issues of Power Pack, and we're we'll drawing you, it. We're giving you Daredevil after this. You own Daredevil. <laughs> Disney's um, like, excuse me. Um, uh, hi, brothers. <laughs> shut up, Dare. Shut up, Disney. We got you hired this. us. We know what we're doing. Yeah. This will be an interesting experiment. Giving Daredevil to Frank Miller sounds like something too sensible that our fictional uh, selves would do. I feel like we would, you know, we would give him like, you know, the toad or something like that. No, I'm saying give it to him like he owns the rights to the character and no longer is a Disney property. Yeah, it almost makes too much sense. I feel oh. like I feel like we wouldn't even do something that fitting. I mean, I think Disney would maybe be okay with us trading Toad for a good Frank Miller story. <laughs> Like we could lose Toad, I guess. I don't know if they'd be happy about no longer having access to the Daredevil character in all their mediums. I don't know. There was three seasons of Daredevil on Netflix. I looked last night. It's like there was a third season I didn't even know about. Yeah. Well, but my point is, I guess Disney owns that now. Yep, that's right. Uh, okay, let's get into it. Issue two thirty two. Yep, yep, yep. So we open on Nuke, which is, uh, we heard in the previous issue, Kingpin securing Nuke's services from a general he's got in his pocket. So now we're seeing Nuke for the first time, and he is an insane shirtless um, soldier brandishing a gun the size of a of a German shepherd with an American flag just, I guess, tattooed on his face. Yeah, it doesn't run. Uh, it doesn't seem to, to 
wash away with sweat. So I'm guessing that's not paint. That is He's, a Nuke doesn't get up in the morning and apply an American flag to his face delicately. No, this is a tattoo that he has gotten tattooed to his face. He also has a gun that can somehow count victims. Yeah, the gun has a counter on it that every time he kills somebody, it it registers. He's like a little video game. Yeah, I don't know how a gun would know that. Don't know either, but he's got some advanced technology. And this gun can fire many different types of bullets. It seems to fire napalm and bullets and rockets. Uh, it's a good, it's a well-designed, insane gun. Um, It is like a weird video game sort of yeah. thing. Uh, He calls his gun Betsy, but that sort of stops after the first couple pages. A serial um, killer of him. And uh, Kevin, we're, I got to remind our listeners here that this comic came out of the mid 80s. So Nuke talks about having been in Vietnam. He thinks he's in Vietnam. He's like deluded. But he's in Nicaragua on some covert ops American mission. Yeah. And um, uh, to our listeners in the mid 80s, the, you know, soldiers who were Vietnam vets and had become traumatized was like all over the place, like movies and TV shows and comics. There was it's Rambo. It's Rambo, yeah. Uh, Platoon, uh, Born on the Fourth of July, um, even like uh, just like episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger. There'd be like a, a wounded <laughs> Vietnam vet, like would be like in it was just in the zeitgeist. Uh, and so Nuke is the Frank Miller version of that, which is. Uh, we find out later, Kevin, this is a super soldier, the same stuff that makes Captain America super nuke has. Yeah, he's uh, maybe more has been happened to this guy than even that because he's got like sort of he seems to have modified Augmented. skin and muscles and bones on top of everything else. Yeah, I didn't know that's later what Daredevil analyzes when Daredevil is applying his super sense to him. And I wondered, is that just what Daredevil interprets the super soldier body as? I think it's been treated as... Uh, like he's, he has been nuke has retroactively been part of the weapon plus program as well. Like okay. they've now kind of uh, weapon plus meaning uh, Wolverine who's weapon X. Okay. And that uh, Captain America, basically the technology trying to recreate Captain America led to Wolverine eventually is now what's been sort of said. Okay. And Wolverine is an augmented mutant. Uh -huh, so it right. sort of makes sense that nuke is also augmented. So I think it's been taken as, uh, I don't know. This is the only nuke story I've ever read. Okay. This uh, has been taken as, I think, though, he has been modified. Okay. So we're introduced to Nuke at the beginning of this issue, and he is totally nuts. And we learn that he's being taken to New York on the Kingpin's orders. And the Kingpin's plan is he can't find Matt Murdock, Kevin. So what he right. needs to do is bring Nuke and drop him in the west side of Manhattan and yep. have him just set fire to the neighborhood and murder civilians yep. to flush Matt Murdock out. That's the plan. Yeah, and then kill Matt Murdock. Yeah. As well. And I, I think also it's hidden, it's implied later, and I want to ask you when we get to it, that the plan is to go to the Daily Bugle and maybe kill Ben Urich. There's a line yeah. here that implies that. Yes, I th uh, that's part of Nuke's plan. Uh, he's killing all the enemies to the kingpin. Uh, and Nuke is a well-named character because he's dropped in Nicaragua in this first story and just sort of like lays waste to everything around him. It's not like a, a nuclear missile can't like, just take not, out your enemies. It's not precise. Yeah, you just drop it and it's destruction. And he that is what Nuke is. You drop him somewhere and he destroys. And you do kill your enemies, most likely, but you kill everything and you destroy buildings. And um, So there's two other things about Nuke, in addition to his imprecision, Kevin, that I want to point out is that he takes pills, red, white, and blue pills. The reds <laughs> are like uppers and the whites and the blues are downers. Yeah, so I don't you know often if it's see him saying, give me a red, give me a white, give me a blue. Yeah, 
Uh, it's unclear what the difference between the white and blues are, but reds seem to be what he takes when he's getting ready to kill people. Yeah. The reds are some kind of uppers and the whites and blues come off because at some point they're like, no reds for you right now, only whites and blues. Yeah. Um, and then also he says, our boys. The thing that motivates him is saving our boys. Yeah. Meaning like the MIAs from, or not MIA, just soldiers from Vietnam. Yeah. but in, And in general, American soldiers. That That's what, from Nuke's perspective, he's a good guy who is saving American soldiers. Yeah, I mean, he is brainwashed or deluded or something. He's yeah. not right. He's not right. So anyway, that's our that's going to be our bad guy. We leave him and we go to Matt and Karen. Matt is now living in another nice apartment, at least in terms of its window views. Window views and size. It's a it's a big big loft. Like an industrial loft. Yeah. yeah. And he and Karen Page are living there, and she is kind of going through withdrawal and holding on to him. And it's but it's kind of implied that she's on the road to recovery now that she's back with Matt. Yes, that's right. And uh, so we see that Matt and Karen are together and getting better. Matt, I guess, has gotten better and Karen's getting better. And then we visit Ben Urich and Foggy. And Ben Urich is our reporter who's trying to track down what happened to Matt Murdock. He's got two police escorts because he's doing an expose in the Kingpin and in danger for his life. And he's talking to Foggy as part of his investigations. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's fun at this point. Nowadays, Foggy knows that Matt and Daredevil are the same and it Sort of makes sense that Daredevil would share it with Foggy. Yes. Uh, but at this point, Foggy is in the dark. He's, yeah. And, and Ben Yurick even has to think to himself, like, do you know the truth about Matt Murdock? Yeah. He's asking Foggy about Matt, and Foggy's talking about, oh, he's gone through a hard time since our law firm went over. Um, and it's, then it, Matt thinks, I know that Matt is no ordinary blind man, Nelson. Do you? Yeah. And he doesn't know. It is interesting, though. Foggy, uh, uh, Mentions that the last time he talked to Matt, Matt sounded crazy, but also Foggy is like, Matt's kind of high strong, he says. Uh, he goes, I wouldn't go that far to, as to say that. Matt's always been kind of high strung. I mean, you just can't always worry. I'm sure he'll be, uh, and he kind of gets distracted then. But it's this idea of like, he's known Matt Murdock a lot. Matt Murdock's gone through a ton of things as Daredevil, unbeknownst to Foggy, and always kind of pulled through. Yes. So Muggy, Foggy is sort of aware that yeah, Matt this Murdock's happens always- now and then. Yeah, Matt goes crazy and starts dating Electra, and then he's fine. It's hey, don't worry about him. And he's, he's right. Kinda, I mean, Matt's fine now. That's true. Listen to Foggy. At one point, um, Foggy Nelson's the papers in his briefcase kind of blow everywhere. And among his papers are photographs that his new girlfriend and Matt's ex-girlfriend Glory has taken. And Yurik yeah. is impressed by them, and he will soon hire her to work for the Daily Bugle. And then we see some panels of Glory taking photographs, and it's sort of cemented that she is a talented photographer. Yeah. She becomes immediately a diehard news photographer in yeah. a way that is astonishing. Like anything to get the shot becomes immediately her thing. And she's yeah. been doing it for moments. Yeah. Um, she's got like an X-Men level of a, of a emotional change pace, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. She gets as invested in things as Storm and uh, Jean Grey became best friends. Yeah. Yeah. Just instantly the most dedicated news report. And I, I, I don't know the story of glory after these comics. So I don't know if she ever is shown as a photographer much after this, but it's crazy that she isn't the way she's so into it. She should be the most celebrated photojournalist in the country. Yeah. And her first job is the craziest, one of the craziest news stories that would have to be in like New York history. Yeah, I think so. Which is a super soldier from Nicaragua 
murders and civilians in the West Side and sets a bunch of buildings on fire. Yeah. And she gets a couple shots really close to some crazy things and is not afraid not thrown at all. At all. Yeah. Uh, so we see Yurik see her f- uh, photographs. We see Glory taking pictures. Let me cut back to Nuke. This is a really funny thing. He's on the plane going to New York. And the stewardess brings him a beer and says, we didn't have the beer you ordered, so I brought you this one. And he grabs her arm violently. This brand, where was it brewed? He only wants American brewed beer. Yeah. Yeah, because America is known for the best beers in the world. (laughs) Nuke's got good taste. Um, None of that German knockoff beer. (laughs) uh, Germans, the enemies of the Vietnam soldiers. Yeah, I guess. Uh, then we cut to the Kingpin who's talking to Kingpin basically is implied has every single member of the government and military in his pocket and on immediate like he has phone call access to every like official in New York and Washington. Yeah. And uh, he's whoever he's talking to now is warning him that Lois, the crazy nurse from the first five issues, yeah. has been captured and is getting ready to squeal. She's going to turn everybody in. She's going to turn Kingpin in. So Kingpin's like, make sure that Officer Coogan is on duty for for that interview. Obviously, another Kingpin cop. Yeah, this is the commissioner he's talking to. uh, Okay, he's talking to the commissioner. Okay. Yeah. And so then we cut to, this is an interesting little conversation. We cut to Foggy Nelson at his job where he currently works for the Kingpin. He doesn't know that, but he's working for the Kingpin's organization. And... Uh, he's talking to Glory, and he's. We see a little interesting side here where he's a little worried that Glory is. He thought the photos were just a hobby. Yeah, he, there's almost a sign of him not wanting his girl to work here. Well, I think what's also a sign here is that Glory is uh, Foggy was just sort of a dalliance, and she is moving beyond him. That the oh, two really? conversations sort of feel like to me like Glory is now all about her job and 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 gone. For, she's gonna be gone from Foggy's life. She's not that interested in talking to him. Like he's got this big job that's he's nervous about. And she doesn't sound like she wants to talk about it. It's even more pronounced in the next issue when he sees her at the uh, church. Um, when he says yeah. goodbye to her, it's like, I guess I'll see you around or something like that. It's, 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 it's oh, very much right, like this, yeah. this relationship is rapidly Over. ending. It, it was sort yeah. of a, a rebound, maybe a from rebound Matt. for Matt and like any rebound it's ending short lived. Yeah. Poor um, foggy. So then we get a little thing with uh, Matt and Karen at, at wherever they're staying. And we see Karen sleeping in bed with the daredevil costume. And she sort of, we hear from Karen's perspective that Matt has changed somehow. He's harder than he was. Yeah, But he's not putting on the costume. He's not kind of patrolling. He, we've also found out he's got a job. Yep. Uh, we don't know what it is yet, but he's got a new job and we'll find out. Not not being a lawyer though. I'll say this about the apartment. Like it, it, it feels like a bad apartment in a like a television show right because like there's like a sink is in the same room as the bed like exposed wires and pipes but it is so big yes that like most people would love this apartment it looks well kept it doesn't look dirty and broken it's like a glamorous industrial loft yeah right yeah you're right just like a tv show like we're supposed to think that he's down on his luck and sort of squatting in like a a found space but really it's like how much could i rent that place that place looks incredible If this was not when when you and I were both working as computer programmers in, in, in Manhattan, I don't think we could have afforded this apartment together. No way. Both our salaries. We Absolutely would have been not. like, but we can't afford this. We can't. We'll have to. Do it. Yeah. To make this realistic, he should have two computer programming roommates who are splitting the rent with him. Yeah. And complaining um, that like, Matt gets the small room, so he I guess he pays less. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, but so he's always cut. using the skylight. He's always using our skylight. And then it has, I'll be like, as long as he pays the checks on time, I don't care. He's just a little high strung. Uh, so then we cut to uh, Ben Yurick interviewing Lois, and Lois is making it. The- we're doing a great pace compared to last issue. At this point, we were, I think, on page five. We are on page five for like half an hour last last time. Yeah, this we're doing good. I just wanted to congratulate us. Yeah, we're 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 figured out how to do this. Um. Yeah. So Ben is going to talk to Lois, the nurse, and Lois has tons of information. She was the bodyguard of the cop who squealed on Murdoch. She killed that cop, um, sort of to try to get back in the great good graces of the kingpin. Uh, so if she told her whole story, there would be tons of info against the kingpin. But unfortunately, the cop on duty and one of Yurik's bodyguards are kingpin people, and they murder Lois before she can talk. Yeah, they uh, Coogan, the one that. Kingpin insisted be uh, on duty, locks the door, pulls out a gun. There's one good cop. Yep. Um, who we've only seen really fail for the most part, but here, <laughs> you know, he kind of pulls, he, he doesn't completely fail here, but he gets shot by Coogan. Oh no, he gets shot by um, the other, and he gets shot by Coogan. Yeah. He gets shot by Coogan. Right. The other cop shoots Lois in the face. Yep. Uh, uh, the cop takes out Coogan. So they're both gone. And then it's just Ben the, Yurik. The, and... the good cop takes out Coogan and the bad cop. So it's left to the bad cop versus Yurik. And Yurik kind of fights the bad cop to the ground. The bad takes his bodyguard. Yeah. yeah. Um, takes his good... gun away and beats him to death. And kills him. The whole time Glory's taking photos. Like you say, she doesn't miss a beat. Yeah, she never stops. She's right next to a cop, the, the, the bad bodyguard cop. She's three inches away from him, snapping a shot. Of Lois getting her face blown off, mm-hmm. doesn't even glance over and go, oh, someone has pulled out a gun next to me and is probably going to kill me, too. Like, Lois you, is, uh, the, the, or rather, uh, Glory. Glory is dead, right? If, if yeah, this goes badly. Easily. Uh, Yurik also becomes a murderer here. Yurik murders the, <laughs> the bad bodyguard. Um, it reminds me of the scene in Anchorman where Steve Carell is suddenly like a murderer, just like the guy that you don't expect to have to do it, like, does it. You mean the big fight scene? Yeah. I think they all, they they all commit a murder? big gang war and they're all like shooting arrows and throwing javelins and stuff. I thought they say to Steve Carell's character, Brick, you killed the guy. Yeah. You, but you I think they all, get su- it all, they all get super violent. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think this, the scene after, is, I forget who says it's like. That escalated uh, quickly. That escalated quickly, yes. Yeah. It's a fun scene. Um, yes. So I, I guess I'm just saying Steve Carell wasn't the, they all would have killed if they got the opportunity in that fight. And I, my, I think it's unfair of you to paint it on Steve Carell. My character. theory is Carell's the only murderer and the rest of them are good. Okay. Uh, Brick rather. I don't mean to. No, uh, it's Steve Carell. Okay. Yeah. He's Carell. playing himself in that movie. Everyone knows it. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So crazy little scene where a bunch of people get shot in the face uh, and it's just Ben Urich and Glory are left standing. And, then we cut to the kingpin sweet talking nuke into his mission, and the kingpin puts on a big like, "This is for America." You know, the evil, the bad guys are the press, and the bad guys are the people who want to hold us down. And you need to go to, and so therefore to stand up for America and our boys, nuke, you need to go to Hell's Kitchen and set it on fire. Yeah, kingpin's hugging a flag. Kingpin is honest though. Kingpin's like, "I'm branded a criminal." Yeah, he's like, "I'm doing things that technically make me a criminal." He's not he's not lying to Nuke. He's he's just skewing it. He's slanting the news uh, uh, to support him. He's Fox newsing it. 
yeah, it's very, it's very funny speech. Like, uh, it tortures me that the noble concept of free enterprise, the crowning triumph of our forefathers, has been murdered by endless corrosive legislation. To simply keep some shadow of that dream alive, I must, must break the law. Excuse me, I. And he's like crying at 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 the reality that he must break the law while yeah, clutching an American Kingpin. flag. Yeah, he's hugging that flag. And Nuke is totally won over by this. Yeah. Um, a single man, Kingpin tells Nuke, threatens to destroy what we have built. He moves against me, calls me a villain. I'm not a villain, my son. I am a corporation in the conglomerate that is America, but his allies in the press. And Nuke like grits his teeth and goes, the press. <laughs> yeah. And then like Kingpin gets close to King, uh, Nuke's ear and Nuke goes, where is he? And Kingpin whispers, Hell's Kitchen. And you know what? Even though this is sort of like a dramatic, insane, over-the-top scene, the little zoom in on Nuke and Kingpin finally getting him to do his mission is dramatic and exciting. You're like, oh, it's, it's very fun. The bad guy has now been unleashed in Daredevil's neighborhood. I mean, it's also like these two pages, if they didn't happen, I don't think anyone reads this and they're not missing. They're really fun, great pages. They add a lot. But like, I would not question why is Nuke blowing up Hell's Kitchen? Kingpin hired him, so he's doing it. But this yeah. really paints the new character in an uh, interesting light and, and really has fun with the Kingpin character as well. Yeah. Um, we, then we cut to Matt Murdock at his new job, and his new job is chef at a diner. He's not even pretending to be blind anymore, I don't think. Nope. And uh, he's a great chef, which makes sense because he's got those heightened senses, Kev. So he would, I guess, have great taste as well as a radar. He's sense. got super, super chef abilities came with that radioactive <laughs> blindness. It's Yeah, it's funny. This is the same diner Ben Yurk likes to go to because the food is terrible, so it's always empty, and now it is packed. Yeah, that's really fun. Uh he is hanging out with Glory and a new bodyguard. And at one point, Ben Yurek is just like, did I did I really kill that man? <laughs> yeah. That's the only uh, emotional fallout that we'll see from that scene. Yeah. Um, and then we get he, to the beginning of the battle. He also uh, mentions a little bit, uh, just touching it on the Matt Murdoch's mom situation, he sort oh, of right. says to himself, I checked Matt's medical record and found something funny. It's about his mother. Matt always said she died giving birth to him, but... Then he gets distracted by remembering he murdered somebody and changes the subject. So there's these, it's just more fuel to say like Maggie, the nun is Matt's mom. Right. Yeah. That's a nice little detail there. Um, Matt's still not ready to put on the costume, but Kevin, that's going to change. Cause as he's leaving his shifter at the diner, uh, nuke is dropped from a helicopter onto ninth Avenue, I assume. And just begins shooting everybody. <laughs> yeah, they ask him not to use a rocket, and he does not use a rocket for three panels, so that's nice. Oh no, no napalm. He doesn't use a napalm, but he does use the rocket. Sorry, he uses the so, rocket launcher. Yeah, so uh, no napalm. He's holding off on napalming Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> oh boy, uh, it's crazy heightening. Uh, this inspires Matt to run to his. Now destroyed apartment, the second apartment of his that's been destroyed, and get the this Daredevil is also costume. Sort of hilarious. Um, which part? Uh, uh, Karen Page is like lying on rubble, naked, or like her apartment. Her apartment got blown up, and she's like fine on top of a pile of rubble, clutching the Daredevil costume. Safe, I kept it safe for you, Matt. And he kisses her and then takes the costume and he's suiting up. And this is now our hero reborn, ready to take on the big villain. Yeah. And these last two pages, Kevin, are incredibly dramatic. It basically shows like nukes going nuts. And then there's a bunch of close-up shots of the Billy Club 
Ricocheting off Nick, off a wall, back into Daredevil's hands. Nuke says, give me a red, asking for his amphetamine. And then we turn the page, and what we see is Daredevil in his red costume standing against a wall of flames behind him. Give me a red, yeah. and then the Daredevil costume. It's pretty it's fun. It's really fun. Two two things before we take our break, mm-hmm. uh, or that I want to say before we take a break. You can say as many as you want. I have uh, We skipped a little bit where Karen asks, mentions to Matt that she, because of her, he lost everything. Yes. And he says, I lost nothing. It's a really interesting bit where uh, he says, like, uh, uh, she never told them about the senses and she never told them about the man. So it's like, that's all you need for, again, this thesis running through these seven issues is that's all you need for Daredevil. Yeah. According this, to Frank Miller. The senses and the his character. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is, when I watched Daredevil season one, the, the Netflix show. Yeah. That I'm now gifting to Frank Miller. Okay. ownership of um yes. if you'll write that power pack story um uh one of my, he i really like the costume the black ninja costume he wears in it and in the last episode he puts on the red costume and it looks fine but i do remember thinking like there's this thing with superhero tv shows where they never put on the costume until the final episode of the season yeah uh and i'm like there was an episode earlier a couple episodes in where he's like fighting drug dealers and it's like a big fire and i was like he should be wearing the costume here. If, if a man dressed as a devil stepped out of those flames, it would look so cool. And I think I was just remembering this pa- this page. Yeah. And it was just like a missed opportunity. It's like, just because you didn't want him in costume yet, you kind of missed this cool, like image of a devil in surrounded by fire. Yeah. But you know, a hero anyway. Um, great points, Kevin. Uh, I do just want to say that we're back, back to the great cliffhanger, like endings, like the, this ending with, Matt suited up as Daredevil, flames behind him, ready to face off against Nuke, is really exciting. Yeah, I mean, this is an issue where you want to read the next issue immediately. You do not want to wait a month. Yeah. Um, and uh, so should we take our break and then get into yeah. the final issue? And I recommend, if you really want to feel like what it was like to read these issues, is you take a month <laughs> during this break, <laughs> listeners, before you come back and listen to the second half. So if you're real fans, that's what you'll do. Yeah, see you in a month, everyone. So, Kevin, Screw It Comics is sponsored by Shortboxed. Why don't you tell the people what that is? Shortboxed is an app and a website where people buy and sell graded comic books uh, that they've uploaded photos of and then you know, ship them to each other. Sort of like a, a, a very specialized uh, shopping network. I've already talked too much. Uh, no, you're doing great. And uh, what is uh, graded comic books? Graded comic books are when people send their comics to a third party. Mm-hmm. who take these comics and kind of judge the condition of the comic book. Is it is it folded? Is it ripped a little bit? Is it how faded are the colors? And then they kind of seal it in like sort of this hard plastic and send it mm-hmm. back with a grade on it uh, between like zero and 10. So 10 being like, oh, this comic is in perfect condition. It could not possibly be better. And one is, what did you do to this comic book? <laughs> what happened You're here? a monster, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Shortbox, their app has just been redesigned recently. So it's more intuitive and prettier. And they have giveaways where you can like enter contest to win graded comic books, sometimes signed, sometimes pretty old. I enter, I've entered a few and I've won zero. Hint, hint, short box. Let's rig it for your sponsees. Yeah, that there's no controversy there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Shortboxed is great. We think you should download the Shortboxed app and check it out today. Or tomorrow, one of the two. And we're 
back. And I assume for most of our listeners, it's May. Welcome to May, everybody. Um, we're getting into the last issue of Born Again, issue 233. The issue title is Armageddon. Um, and Kevin, what do you think of the splash page? Right in the uh, in the bottom corner, it says, this issue respectfully dedicated to Jack Kirby. Yeah, I mean, I assume it's because of the Captain America stuff, but it might just be because Jack Kirby, uh, rather Frank Miller loves Jack Kirby and wants to give Jack Kirby as much props as he can. Like Frank Miller was always a big proponent in the last years of Kirby's life of like, this guy deserves all the credit. He was one of these guys. Yeah. When in an era when Kirby wasn't getting quite as much credit as he should have, Frank Miller banged the drum pretty loudly that Kirby deserves more credit. Yeah. And I think also there was a thing going on now where Marvel was refusing to give Kirby the original art that he had drawn. And so there's issues of like intellectual property rights and was Kirby paid fairly. And one of the things that a lot of artists seized upon at this time was like, at least give him his original art so he can sell it for money. Yeah. Um, and that was being withheld, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think Shooter fixed a lot of that stuff or Shooter was a big proponent also of giving the art back. Um, yeah, it was a thing that like you didn't need to convince Marvel to give up intellectual property rights for them just to give the so a lot of people would be like, look, just give look, we, we can avoid we won't even talk about the big court battle of the big money. Just give these guys their art. Yeah. Um, and Let's so, make them happy and maybe they won't sue us for more. And just like this is a little bit of justice that we can do without having to convince corporate lawyers to go on our side. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it was kind of like. Because I know there was also an issue of Swamp Thing around the same time that ended with uh, Alan Moore writing, dedicated with awe and affection to Jack Kirby. Uh, okay. Because of the demon was in a was a Swamp Thing story, another another Kirby character, the yeah. demon. Um, and so it was kind of like the 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 young guns here that were like dominating '80s comics wanted to give their props to Kirby. Not a lot to Ditko, weirdly. No, you don't see that as much for him. Um... But yeah, it is. I mean, it's a thing now, like a lot of comics cite the creators, at least of these big characters. Uh, and I don't know how much of that was because of court battles and how much of that was. Uh, let's just start giving them the rights. So a little bit of both. I think more court battles, unfortunately. But yeah, like Captain America is a big part of this issue. And it should at least say Captain America was created by Jack Kirby and Joe Simon. Yeah. Somewhere on here, because they're such a big part of who Captain America is. Um, but I remember as a kid reading this and certainly I had heard the name Jack Kirby and knew that he was the guy's name in a lot of the old comics, but it was seeing the people give props to Kirby that made me think, oh, this Jack Kirby guy is crucial. If that's true, Will, then why in your issue did you cross off the name Jack Kirby and write Martin Goodman? I just think the publisher who refused to give any big money to the creators is the real hero. I like Paul, the drug dealer and Martin Goodman, the publisher. <laughs> yeah. I was like, at least put Stan Lee. And you're like, Martin nope. Goodman's the man you said. <laughs> yeah. He hired Stan. That's what I said. Um, Cause he had to, cause it was his nephew or something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> it was cousins husband or I, I don't know, but uh, okay. So Kev, this is the big battle. This is Daredevil yes. versus nuke. And we just get, it's just tons of fighting here. And then yes. also Captain America and the Avengers show up for fun. That's what, that's that's what right. we're into. Yep. But at the, opening, at the opening of it, it's Daredevil versus Nuke. And Daredevil's kind of figuring out that Nuke is not just a normal guy. He is like, like you were saying, genetically modified to be like some kind of superhuman. 
Yeah, he, he, he's going for like nerve punches and trying to break bones, and he's unable to do it. And yeah. like, you know, Daredevil's fought strong guys before. You'd think he would know if this guy was so strong, he's not going to be able to break his bone. It's something, uh, this guy isn't, he's, he's like, his smart fighting isn't enough to take out Nuke. Because he even thinks at some point, don't be clever. Yeah, like at the bottom of the first page, uh, Daredevil's scanning him, and we we Daredevil's thoughts are his heart's strong, but too fast. Got to be amphetamines. I'll be lucky if that's all there is to him. Um, and then uh, uh, so like we see like Nuke on the bottom of page two clock Daredevil with the the bottom of his gun, and it's got to be hand to blank. He gets clocked too fast. Like he's impressed at how fast Nuke is. Yeah. He wanted to fight him hand to hand. Just so he stopped using the gun, but he's too fast. He can't get away with that. There's also a helicopter machine gunning down the roofs. It's not like the cop, the chopper pilot is a sane guy. Yeah. Nuke is insane. The chopper pilot also is shooting the roofs of New York city. So yeah. he's not a, a, a great guy either. Uh, meanwhile, the kingpin is watching it all with binoculars, and Wesley, his like sort of like administrative mm-hmm. assistant, is wiping his brow with a handkerchief. This yeah. is slaughter, boss. This is mass murder. Kingpin is not bothered at all. Yeah, this is war. I have done no more than transport it from a South American jungle to Manhattan to Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> sort of like Vincent D'Onofrio's super dramatic kingpin in season one of the Netflix show feels very inspired by the kingpin of these issues. Yeah. The constant dramatic speeches and Kingpin stuff. is just confident he won't get in trouble for this. You forget that Nuke is a government agent, Wesley. Do you think the army wants it known that they loaned his services to the crime lord of New York City? We may depend on our duly elected officials to protect us. But it's still sort of like, yeah, okay, but that doesn't answer my question. Why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, maybe you'll get away with it. But like, I mean, in the re- reflection of his binoculars, the city is on fire. Yeah. Uh, also, this is uh, these are the issues that established in my mind Hell's Kitchen. I think it's where I learned that that was the name of this neighborhood yeah. in in New York. But also, the Kingpin and Daredevil through through Frank Miller and maybe thereafter talk about Hell's Kitchen like it's some big important neighborhood that has like a big powerful identity. And I don't really think that's true. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe it did in the '60s or '70s. I, I don't know. It certainly didn't by the '90s. By the time we lived there. Yeah. Like so, some neighborhoods do have a personality, like the Upper West Side has an identity. Uh, Harlem, Soho. Yeah, there's certain neighborhoods that, like, oh yeah, they're the East Village. But like nobody walks around New York when we live there, being like, we got to get over to Hell's Kitchen. Like that just yeah. didn't. That you didn't say that. No, it's in sort of Daredevil, like it, in Daredevil comics, like it's one of the most crucial neighborhoods. I mean, you got to. It is crucial if you're driving to Lincoln Tunnel. You got to get through it. Uh, so. <laughs> Um, it was a big gentrified area when we lived there. So if you wanted like hip bars and coffee shops, you'd go to yeah, Hell's Kitchen. A lot of good restaurants. Um, okay, so Glory is taking photos of this and she's getting some of the most dramatic photos probably in New York photojournalism history. She is standing maybe six inches, maybe a foot away from a burning cop car as Nuke falls onto it, holding a, you know, not a machine gun is selling it lightly. Yeah. A weapon of mass destruction in his hand. It looks like he broke and, the gun off the top of a tank and is holding it. And she isn't backing away at all. Ben Yurick is pulling her away from taking these shots. She was hired as a photojournalist this day, earlier this day, <laughs> right? 
I think so. Or, it, or maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe. At best case scenario, she's been at this job less than 24 hours. <laughs> Possibly less than 12 hours. I mean, I don't know. I'm very impressed that she doesn't put the camera down and like go, oh, this burning cop car is hot. I want to step away from it. And she really found her career. I guess what I'm saying. She was meant to be a photojournalist. I'm, yeah. glad, she, I'm glad she's getting to do it. Yeah. Uh, ben Urich's narration does the little job of giving us like the exposition that we need. Yeah. My name is Ben Urich. I'm a reporter. Hell's Kitchen is under attack by a one-man army. Matt Murdock is trying to negotiate a ceasefire unilaterally. And then a couple panels later, Ben's captions are, I shouldn't call him Matt. Give the man his due. He's wearing the tights. He's Daredevil, the man without fear. I love captions like this. I mean, because this... It's written in a typeface as if he's writing it for an article, but this is not an article. It's just his thoughts. Because there's no article that would, first of all, start with, I'm Ben Urich, I'm a reporter. That'd be yes. a really weird first would, line of any article. It'd get edited out if he turned it in like that. I think so. Uh, also, he reveals Matt Murdock's identity, but yeah. it's also not like he's keeping a journal. It's not like he's going to go home and type this up. It is yeah. like he's thinking it now. It's yeah. just, so thinks- in his mind, he's thinking to himself, I'm Ben Urich, a reporter, yes. which also doesn't make sense. And I don't care about any of that. It is yeah. it just, it flows great he for some reason ben yurik is telling a story to us the readers of a comic book you know there are no thought balloons anywhere in any of these issues and you pointed out to me how there's no thought balloons anywhere in comics anymore but at this time of comics there were tons of thought balloons in like just most issues frank miller uh, is is writing modern comics uh in in 1986 but he's writing them in 1986 like i think a lot of writers reading these were affected by them and when they started writing this is how they wrote yeah and so thought balloons went away i mean this is one of the most exciting superhero stories i've ever read and and at the time even it was even more startling um okay so we get more fighting uh it's crazy heightened there's a shot of daredevil just totally or nuke just encompassed in flames saying our boys our boys ben yurik catches fire uh daredevil takes nuke's gun and hits him with it breaking it in half the helicopter pilot, the insane man, continues machine gunning and sh- and shoots Glory. Yeah, I can't believe she didn't get a photo of that. She's really off her. She's really not so good at her job. She should be aiming her camera at her own legs as she gets shot. Daredevil takes the gun that Nuke was using. It even though the handle's been broken off, I guess it still functions because he shoots the helicopter and blows it up. Yeah, does he kill that guy? Yes, and that's why the caption is "Forgive me." Well, Daredevil should go to jail. Yep, that's what we, Paulo should arrest him. Um, <laughs> the duly appointed officer of the law. Yeah. And then now the Avengers show up. Uh, and what a terrific entrance by the Avengers happened here, drawn by Mazzuchelli. Um, You know, a lot of times the heroes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe are sort of flattened. They're all equal. Hawkeye is equal to Thor, is equal to uh, Ant-Man, is equal to, you know, Moon Knight or whoever, they're all kind of just like they, they are as powerful as their popularity is or whatever. But these drawings do a nice job of showing how the Avengers are way, way more powerful than Daredevil. Like they're on another league. Yeah. And even Captain America, who's not necessarily much more powerful through like physically, is just he's almost another level just because of who he is. Like yeah, the caption the, for him is a soldier with a voice that could command a god and does. Yeah, the next panel says and does with a picture of Thor. I remember that phrase being like, oh, yeah, 
Captain America is the commanding officer of Thor, the Norse god of thunder. Like that is yep. pretty wild. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's really fun seeing the Avengers portrayed as like sometimes you read superhero comics, like a Daredevil comic, and the Avengers show up and it's like, oh, Daredevil's buddies, the yeah, Avengers, the club. Yeah. Um, and this does a good job of like setting them a little bit of showing their difference from Daredevil. I, it reminds me of what uh, Christopher Priest does with the Avengers in his Black Panther comics, even mm. though Black Panther is a frequent member of the Avengers. Yeah. He portrays the Avengers almost at a distance when they show up in the Black Panther comic because they're just different than he is. Yeah. And it's really fun. Uh, Kingpin, or I'm sorry, Daredevil has nu- his hands around Nuke's oh. throat saying the Kingpin he sent you, say it. And then Iron Man um, in his armor of this time uh, says Daredevil. It's like silver is- centurion armor, I think it's often referred to. Okay. Daredevil, that man is ours on federal authority. Stand back. You have five seconds, he says, threateningly. Yeah. It doesn't sound like Iron Man. The way he is portrayed here, he looks like a robot. His arms are just like rigidly at his side. And then he, he lowers, he raises his arm up to blast. He seems like Robocop to some extent. Um, there's a soft hum as computer circuitry generates enough power to level a building and holds it waiting. Not being stupid, Matt backs away. And this is all Ben Urich's thoughts. Yeah. Um, I mean, at this time, I don't know what how Tony Stark was written. Obviously, it doesn't read like the Tony Stark of the MCU. Yeah. But Tony Stark of this era also wasn't like a quippy, fun, loving guy. Yeah. So this might be closer to what he is like at this time. He may have been a no-nonsense and superhero. And the point here is just to really delineate the difference of power levels between the Avengers and Daredevil. That Daredevil basically has to do whatever they say. Yeah. Daredevil could punch Nuke, but uh, Iron Man could level a building. Uh, and then Nuke there has been now subdued. Um, he's sort of looking kind of forlorn up at Captain America saying, give me a white. Captain America looks sad. He feels sorry for Nuke or something about Nuke makes Captain America sad. Yeah. Uh, we cut the kingpin in a sauna. <laughs> yeah. A huge sauna, man. This is you, a good, good, great sauna. Huge sauna with a bunch of, uh, you know, mo- more mafia lieutenants. And one of them, as as we have seen for a couple issues, is challenging kingpin on the foolishness of his actions. But this lieutenant, Kevin, makes the mistake of bringing up kingpin's wife. Crazy kingpin. You've been crazy ever since you lost your wife. Then he looks scared. Uh, look, I've been hitting the bottle a little too. I didn't mean to. <laughs> Immediately um, because confesses to alcoholism to get out of this. Uh, I mean, Hell's Kitchen, you know, I put a lot of years in it. And then Kingpin uh, murders him. Yep. Uh, Kingpin still calm. He still thinks we'll get away with this. No, no problem. This is not a real problem. I mean, these lieutenants are right. Kingpin has gone overboard in this situation. Definitely. Brought a helicopter that just was shooting guns in the streets, killed like, I mean, this would be, the FBI would get involved and like do anything they yeah. could to, to finish it. Um, we cut okay. to the church where Matt had been re- recovered and now they are sort of triaging all the victims of Hell's Kitchen's brutal, uh, you know, helicopter attack. Yeah. So uh, we see, we hear all this chatter of people who've been hurt and wounded. Maggie, the nun is here caring for people and glory is here. Yeah. Matt uh, also foggy shows up to see glory runs right past Matt Murdoch. Doesn't recognize him because Matt's sort of standing like it's differently. Like he's standing just sort of con- not like a blind uh, man trying to feel his way around. He's just standing like some guy and it just doesn't register to Matt foggy that it's the same guy. Yeah. He's not wearing his Matt Murdoch sunglasses. Yep. 
Um, so Foggy Nelson, his best friend, doesn't notice him. Maggie's talking to Glory, or some nun is. I think it might be Maggie. You're from Ireland. I haven't seen it since I was a child. I think we all saw it last night, sister. The bad part, anyway. Um, and uh, Foggy's trying to care for Glory. We'll get you moved to a proper hospital. I can't be moved yet, Foggy. I got a favor to ask you. Meanwhile, Karen Page and Matt are like a couple pews over. Yep. And then Glory wants film dropped off to Ben Urich at the uh, Daily Bugle. So, yeah, you're right. She's only worried about her job. Yeah, she's saying, uh, 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 she's like, um, don't worry, I wasn't hurt that bad. Uh, the pictures I took, she wants them taken to the Daily Bugle. And Foggy says, yeah, I'll, I'll be seeing you, sweetie. And her response is, sure, Foggy, I'll call you. Yeah, I miss Not, that. I'll see you. It's They're done. This relationship has ended right there. Yeah, I, I had missed that in previous reads. Um, but yeah, kind of, I felt kind of bad for Foggy. Yeah, he, he was the rebound relationship. I don't think he knew it. I think he thought it was, he felt guilty about it and he felt like it was legit. I don't think it really was. Meanwhile, Matt's back with Karen Page over here, so he's not worried about anything. Um, nope. Then he Including detects- talking to his best friend. I mean, come on, dude. Yeah, come on, dude, say hi. Um, uh, then he detects Captain America running outside. We don't yet know that it's Captain America, but he detects something outside and he goes racing out of the church to find who it is. And we hear his description of what we're going to learn is Captain America. No man ever breathed like that down the block in the alley. No, there's the scent. He's moving though. You'd never even know it from his heartbeat. So steady there ran past me, rattled a garbage can, a little sloppy, but fast, faster than me. Um, leaping so easily, window still creaks with his weight, 300 pounds at least. His muscles lie about it. Like hydraulic pumps, they swing him up. Um, he's tracked me since last night, and it's he's been talking about Captain America. What a, what an interesting description of Captain America's physical abilities. Yeah. Um, also, Matt is confronting him out of costume. I don't think yeah. uh, Cap knew who Matt Murdock and Daredevil were the same, but now he does. Yeah, when Matt Murdock gets to the roof, Captain America says, Daredevil, I mean you no harm. What do you want? And so they're talking about nuke, like basically what happened. And they so they share some information. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, this is where he sort of talk. His skin contains several kinds of plastics. It's very tough, doesn't burn easily. His skeleton, his muscles, they're only partly human. And he goes, so what's it to you? Like, Cap, why do you care about nuke? You caught him. And uh, Captain America, this is an interesting panel. Captain America yeah. says he wears the flag. And Murdoch says, I hadn't noticed because uh, he's blind, Kat. Yeah, that's something he would not notice a tattoo on someone's face. Um, um, but also it's kind of this other thing where it's like, of course, Captain America is very aware of the flag. And Daredevil isn't really a patriotic character, so he's not aware of it. So it's got this nice double meaning. Yeah, it's a really cool panel. Um, so we get a little then we start for the rest of this issue it, uh, we we were with captain america for a while it doesn't yeah. mean anything to them thinks the soldier to them it's just a piece of cloth sometimes i feel so weak and i guess um that's what is nice about this issue captain america is shown as not a yeah he's pro flag he's pro america but he's kind of like good guy pro america um, yeah i mean it's also a thing that captain america gets saddled with a lot sort of being disillusioned by our country, which uh, feels right, but also can be a drag if you read it all the time from him here. Yeah. It's really, it's really well done, but sometimes uh, in a, in his series or in books, if it's like, if that's all you're reading is just Captain America being like, Oh, I'm so sad about America. At a certain point, it's like, I don't know, get over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I get I, it. 
So, but it some, fits his character. Some heroes work almost better as stars in other comics rather than as the center. Yeah. And or me, or at least they work differently. Like Captain America is here in contrast to Daredevil. You know, Daredevil is just trying to keep his neighborhood safe. But Captain America yeah. has larger issues afoot that are more personal to him. I'll also say Frank Miller does a thing that I like um, that some writers, I think, don't do this well. Like Captain America is here. Yeah. So Daredevil is clearly the hero of this issue. And, and, and Captain America being like, you know, working for the government and like took Nuke in to entrust the government about it where Daredevil doesn't. So like Captain America is sort of a little bit wrong here. But this story doesn't portray Captain America sort of like out of touch and disconnected. It just sort of shows him differently, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like Captain America is like, eh, everything will work out with this nuke situation. He looks into it. He checks into it. He cares about it. Yeah. He's going to get to the bottom of it. It'd be very easy to play Captain America here as like a joke, like a uh, like Superman in Dark Knight on some level, right? Sort of like, yeah. yes, sir, Mr. President, sir. And he's not being done that way. And I appreciate that. Uh, yes, it, it is. He, you root for him in this story. Um, so we see I, him I, investigating I, it. Just to digress one more moment. I think of a Garth Enos Daredevil uh, Punisher story where um, uh, uh, Punisher has, I don't know, um, tied up Daredevil or something. And he's pointing a gun at somebody he's like, I'm going to kill this person unless you kill me, Daredevil. The only way you can, like, he sets up some contrived situation where it's like showing Daredevil, like, sometimes you should kill is sort of the Punisher's point. And that comic, I always bothered me because it seemed like the story was Punisher is right and Daredevil is wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, so Daredevil looks like a, a, a dope in this. Some people yeah. really love that. So I'm probably rubbing people the wrong way. But I was like, this is why I don't love Garthinus sometimes because it's like, yeah. I think they're both, you can play them both as right. I don't think Punisher is right, but you can play them both as right and not, oh, it looks like the Punisher showed, proved his point to Daredevil. Yeah. Anyway, it was, uh, I do. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, this is a matter of taste, but I do sometimes get weary of the, uh, you know what? Maybe the guy who shoots the dude in the face is actually cool and good. It's like, I don't know if that's so brave. Yeah. I, I think that's maybe, you kind of want your comics to f- find a way right. to tell a story that the peaceful way is the right way or something. I mean, so again, I think it'd be it's very taste easy and to, it matters. And you know. so I think it'd be very easy to say the guy who wears a flag as a costume is out of touch and not a, and not a good, a good, a good hero as daredevil. And I don't think that is what's being told here. So he, he is different. He's able to walk right into the office of the general who's in the Kingpin's pocket. Although Captain America doesn't necessarily know that. And just challenges him. Who is this man? Because Nuke is on the front cover of the Daily Bugle with Glory's photos. And the general starts trying to, you know, weasel his way out of this and kind of imply, hey, Captain America, you need, we need your loyalty here. Yep. And Captain America is having none of it. He grabs the American flag and says, I'm loyal to nothing, General, except the dream. Uh, and it's in contrast to the Kingpin, right? The Kingpin grabbed the flag last issue and did a big lie and a big song and dance con job. And Captain America grabs the flag and he means it like this is, this is important to him. Right. Um, We have a little quick check-in on Daredevil and Karen, but then we're back to cap as he's like working his way. He basically knocks out the uh, elevator military police operator who's kind of taking him uh, out of the building so that cap can kind of go into the lower levels and sort of look into who nuke is. 
It's a very funny little exchange. Like Captain America is in an elevator, maybe being walked out. Yeah. And the elevator operator in very small letters is like, ground floor, sir? Like just very cowed by Captain America. And then Captain America just knocks him unconscious very easily with a little whap of his open palm hand. Yeah. Uh, so the captain go down and uh, despite being a man out of time, he's great with computers and hacks in. Uh, Tony has trained him well. And he learns about that nuke is uh, bred from the same serum that kind of, he got his powers and like, they were trying to recreate this captain America experiment, but were unable to do it. Lots of people died from it and it, eventually didn't kill somebody, but it could have broke their brain. And that person is nuke. And so now it's even more personal for Captain America. This is another super soldier, but who yep. has been turned evil sort of. Uh, we see nuke who has been like back with his doctors and military police, and they're trying to subdue him. Uh, and he wants to get back into the fight and like nuke, even though he's handcuffed, like knocks out one of the military police, they shoot him with a tranquilizer but Nuke gets a hold of a gun and starts killing the doctors and the guards, shatters his handcuffs, and he wants to escape and get back into the battle. Eats a full bottle of the red amphetamines. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, Cap is at his computer and hears the alarm, which is being set off because Nuke is loose. Yep. In this military office building, wherever that is. There's a fun sequence where Daredevil's putting on his costume after that. Uh, sort of talking to Karen why the costume is so important but it's written as if like no it's not yeah uh, Matt says costume gives me a psychological advantage over criminals Karen makes it easier to move really it's critical and the response is right right yeah uh, it's kind of funny like Frank Miller probably had to think through all the stuff here and he's like yeah why does he wear a costume it's kind of dumb yeah, there's, but... there's no really good reason other than it looks cool and it uh, does look cool then we cut good, to the king design by Steve Ditko. <laughs> That's right. I once I wrongly credited it to Steve Ditko in one of our episodes, and I, and I'm still getting emails sometimes correcting me. <laughs> but it, it was Wallywood who designed this costume. Yeah, uh, but Steve Ditko probably passed the design to Wally. It was, it was probably like, Ditko behind the scenes. Yeah, he's like, "Hey, Wally, use this design," because <laughs> all the Marvel artists worked in the same room. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then we see the Kingpin getting some award. He's being praised as a civic leader, which he is important to him. Uh, and then Wesley whispers in his ears, Wesley, with something about Nuke. And then we cut to Nuke, who is just knocking over tons of military guards. He's got a big gun again. Uh, but now Captain America is facing up against him. Yeah, Captain America versus Nuke. Uh, Daredevil, meanwhile, is like stopping some unrelated kingpin business. Stealing uh, money from it to fix the diner, which got blown up in Nuke's attack. The diner where he works, right? He, yeah, he's taking this. He's taking this money to get the diner rebuilt. Is that what's happening? Yes, thirty thousand dollars of rebuilt diner is what he says as he takes the okay, the loot, yeah. which is he's taking dirty money. That money is, but I don't know. Maybe it's implied that it's so dirty, there's no saving it. So why not use it for the diner or something? Yeah, it's one panel. It's hard to uh, know. Um, then he, but Daredevil picks up the phone and overhears oh the phone rings and he answers it and it's someone talking about how nuke is like uh, uh headed to the daily bugle to destroy it because of the um because the press is the enemy it doesn't totally make sense he picks up a phone and somebody is mid-sentence giving just the perfect amount of exposition it's one of those comic book conveniences <laughs> yeah yeah um I'm trying to wrap up a story we've only got a certain number of pages maybe <laughs> so daredevil just has to hear exactly what he needs to hear right here drawing looks cool though Captain America has been temporarily knocked down because he he 
plummeted with nuke through the ceiling of a building on the floor. You mean so, at least at least six stories before they hit they hit that roof, and then they went through it and landed on the next floor. So he's a little it's groggy. A, it's a tough fall, and he thinks the soldier remembers the time before he was frozen. He remembers the smiles. There was so much hope in that time. His time. He remembers the war. It's kind of kind of a cool little meditation on what makes Captain America tick inside. Yeah. Um, so Nuke has been basically subdued and yes. Captain America hauls him up to the roof, probably to like put him away or, but another crazy helicopter pilot is shooting the roof with Captain America and Nuke, but Daredevil is there to save the day. Yeah. Captain America hears the choppers coming and there's a bit of him that's like, oh, these choppers feel sneakier and more devious than the planes that I remember uh, from World War Two. Uh, but he's like, yeah, don't be old, thinks the soldier. Don't be crazy. These are Those are our boys. But they're not. They're here to shoot Captain America and nuke dead. Yep. Um, it's ironic to hear Captain America say our boys after we've heard nuke say our boys Yeah. For, uh, repeatedly. But um, once again, it's being used in a way of like, these aren't your boys. <laughs> yep. Uh, so Daredevil saves the day. He knocks Captain America and nuke out of the way of the gunfire from the, from the helicopter. Um, a bunch of soldiers are up there to stop Captain America, but he just uses a shield and blocks them. Yeah, Keystone cop style. They all run into each other. <laughs> Sir, we can't let you. And Captain America hitting him with the shield goes, I respect that, Lieutenant. Yeah. He's showing, it's like the he said to the, did he say that to the corporal too? Is that the same thing he said in the elevator? He said, I, I understand, and... corporal, I think. When he knocks uh, him uh, out. Me, 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 yes, corporal. No, just yes, corporal. Okay. As he's knocking him unconscious. It's very he's, similar. It's a very similar tone. He, he is kind of similar to Superman in the Dark Knight. Like he sort of is like a polite good boy compared to our hero. Yeah. Daredevil has grabbed Nuke, who's been shot numerous times, and thrown him into a cab. And he's now he's driving through the rain, I guess, to save Nuke's life so that uh, just no one should it, die. Or just because he's Nuke, a superhero or something. And maybe because Nuke knows things. But then he kind of realizes Nuke's going to die no matter what. So he decides to take Nuke to the bugle so that he can at least confess to the... As uh, evidence. Yurik. Yeah. Yeah. Just so that Yurik can use it to get bad publicity to the kingpin. That's right. Uh, There's a couple of nice things about this. First of all, Daredevil driving is crazy because he is blind and it's yep. raining. So one thing Daredevil thinks is radar is useless. What the windshield lets through, the rain tears to bits. So I think get out of the car would be my uh, response to that fact. He's driving really well for a guy who can barely see through his radar sense. Also, he runs a red light. Uh, and then somebody on the sidewalk is like, blind man, can't you see? Yeah, because like the lights he would not be able to see. I guess he would hear the clicking of them, but I, I, I don't know if he would be able to hear which one is red and which one's green. I don't know. So I love how Daredevil can't see colors, red, white, and blue, red, yellow, and green. That's his, that's his big weakness. And then in, uh, in the cab, Nuke says to Daredevil, mission status Daredevil says, you're going home, Sergeant. And then Nuke's last words, promised, promised you'd never do that. Like he never wanted to go home. He just wanted to be at, in battle. Uh, he's dead now. Daredevil thinks no hospital. And this is when he decides to take him to the bugle. Captain America, who is in a cop, who's in a helicopter with a good guy, we presume, yes. um, detects Kingpin's bodyguards on the roof of the bugle and takes them out. Yeah, because these were they were going to, take out Daredevil uh, so that Nuke is not, you know, used Publicized, against Kingpin. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't work. And Daredevil leaves Nuke's dead body on the desk of Ben Yurik, dripping with rain. Um, and what a dramatic panel. Yeah. 
a full page splash of Nuke just dead on Ben Yurik's desk. And that's kind of the end of it. So Nuke's been defeated and we see the sort of epilogue, a page of Kingpin. We see the Kingpin will escape going to jail, but that his public reputation has been ruined. That is the defeat of the Kingpin. Also, the first caption box is the same one that was used for Matt Murdock in the first issue, which is the next few weeks go poorly for the Kingpin of crime. Oh yeah. It, it was, was like the next few weeks go poorly for Matt Murdock. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. And, it, and uh, this panel of him talking to his lieutenants through state of the art, uh, televisions is very similar to the uh, panel uh, where Kingpin is first destroying Matt Murdock's life, except here he, Kingpin is like leaning forward, sort of barking orders when before he was like leaning back, smoking a cigar in the first issue. Yeah. The faces of his lieutenants grow sullen and hostile. His commands are obeyed, but far too slowly. They've had it with the Kingpin. They're not doing what he says so much anymore. Yeah, he's losing control all because he blames Matt Murdock, but it's really because Kingpin became obsessed with Matt Murdock. Matt Murdock didn't really do anything. And then the last panel is Matt Murdock and Karen Page smiling and happy, walking around Hell's Kitchen. Matt's no longer wearing his glasses. And Kevin, why don't you read this last panel? It's kind of kind of famous, I would say. Yeah. My name is Matt Murdock. I was blinded by radiation. My remaining senses function with superhuman sharpness. I live in Hell's Kitchen and do my best to keep it clean. That's all you need to know. Yeah, what a finish. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, again, he's I'm not wearing reading his sunglasses. He's, I remember he's reading like, it for the first time, like the transformation is complete. It really feels like not the last page of this story, the last page of Daredevil, right? It just feels like yeah. now the Daredevil story is done. We'll never see another issue of Daredevil again. It's kind of akin to the Master Planner saga in Spider-Man. Like It felt like Ditko was wrapping up the Peter Parker story in a way. Yeah. This even more so, but yes, yeah. um, this feels so final. It just feels like, how could you do another issue of Daredevil after this one? But of yeah. course, there was another issue solicited and it was coming Next out. Month. Yeah. yeah. And written by Anne Nascenti, as I recall. Yeah. Uh, and a run that a lot of people really love was her run. So um, uh, it was good issues, but it was more like standard fare superhero stuff, not to put it down or whatever. Again, how could you keep this pace going? You, you can't like continually redefine the character to keep the stakes up. Mm-hmm. So um, th- this panel was uh, in a criminal comic by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, uh, where one of the characters is trying to give up his life of crime and have everything go well. And there's a panel that is drawn exactly like this last page of Born Again. Um, That's fun. Yeah. I mean, Brubaker uh, probably asked for that, though maybe Sean Phillips uh, made that decision, but it seems like an Ed Brubaker thing. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Um. So, uh, Kevin, good, bad. What do you think about Born Again? Pretty bad. Uh, most people agree. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Uh, it's great. Um, what do you think about this versus Dark Knight? Like, Dark Knight's more impactful, but this might be a more fun story to read. I probably like Dark Knight more, and I don't know why. It's harder, it's harder to read. It's a more dense, yeah. complicated read. But having just read Dark Knight so recently for our episodes... Uh, which again, we read it a while ago, but it, pretty recently mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of my, my 47 years of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember rereading Dark Knight Returns and being like, oh yeah, this is unbelievably good. Like I'd sort of forgotten because it had been so long since I had read it. Yeah. Uh, and then I reread this. I'm like, oh yeah, this is really good. 
sort of, so like, that's just what I'm basically on. It's like, yeah, Dark Knight knocked me off my feet when I read it again for what it was probably the hundredth time. Yeah. And when I reread uh, Born Again recently for probably what it's like the 10th time, I was like, oh yeah, this is great. This is really fun. I, the way I'm thinking of it is Dark Knight is more epic, but I think yeah. Born Again is more fun. It is, it's weird to describe Born Again as a light story because so many heavy things go down in it. But like it is more of a just rollicking adventure. And Dark Knight is like this seismic change in the comics industry. But also like year one is not uh, as big as Dark Knight. I like that more. I see Dark Knight Returns. So it isn't just I like, that I like me. year one the best of all three of these for sure. Yes. Year one is my favorite of the three things. Uh, I mean, I've, they go year one, Dark Knight Returns, Born Again. And they're all it's a pretty tight grouping yeah. though. Yeah, they're all and incredible. I wouldn't get mad at anybody who reorganized them unless his name was Will. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's kind of like the top three baseball players are almost always Willie Mays, Babe Ruth, and Barry Bonds, and you can kind of put them in any order you want. Um, Yeah. And and, uh, it's crazy. Again, we've said it many times, but these all came out around the same time. It was like a big time for superhero comics. Yeah, those are all Frank Miller comics. It is crazy that he made these three comics in such short, such a short span of time. Collaborated well with other people, um, and and really changed the industry. I mean, mean, and I don't think he had carte blanche. I don't think the editors were sort of completely hands off. He had to get the stuff approved and everything. And so I think I think there's credit. I don't know if you're saying this, but I would credit to the editors. They also were good collaborators in this and helped to deliver a great story. Yeah, but I think like now, if you ask Frank Miller to do a story, he'd be like, I want to do exactly what I want, or I'm not interested in doing it, would probably be his response. Like, it, let me yeah. do it my way, or I'm out. Where at this time, it was probably was like, hey, how about this? What do you, what do you, what do you think about this? Can we bring, maybe I'm making this stuff up. It's like, what if the Avengers show up during this part? And he's like, oh, yeah, I could work with that. He also like, might have had, yes, that's probably true, both because his status was not yet at the highest level that these stories would put it at, but also he probably had relationships where he had been just a working Daredevil writer yeah. not that long before. So those guys are still in the Marvel, you know, team. So they could talk to him, you know, Denny, you know, Denny O'Neill was his boss. Like he would have no problem taking notes from Denny O'Neill, I would guess. Um, anyway, really, really, I'm really glad we read it, Kevin. Good suggestion. Yeah. And did, have you heard about this, that there was going to be, he's going to do more Daredevil after this? I didn't know this now. With Walt Simonson? No. Um, yeah, I don't know the full details. And I should have read up on it before we recorded, but there's something like after this ended, there was sort of, he was in the works to do like another short daredevil arc with Walt Simonson on art. And for one reason or another, it just didn't come together. And then they both kind of moved on. Like it wasn't like something that I don't think got like drawn and is in a drawer somewhere, but it was like talks were being made. And uh, by the time it came time to do it, like either Frank Miller had moved on or Walt Simonson had moved on and then it just didn't happen. It's too bad. It would have been fun to see what Miller did with this. Yeah. I would love to have seen what what's next. I bet you would just be some self-contained little crime stories, like and and really fun ones. I bet. Yeah, it'd be very probably similar to Criminal, you know, uh, the Edward Baker Sean Phillips story that would come twenty years later. Like I, I bet you would be sort of in that realm. Let's see. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, hot off the heels of Born Again. This is from a blog, Marvel Comics of the nineteen eighties. Uh, Frank Miller, Walt Simonson. We're supposed to team up for a two-part Daredevil story for issues 235 and 236. 
Um, so uh, one issue break and then this. Yeah. So Dr. Strange was a guest star in the story. Miller only wrote the first half. The two-part story was called The Devil's Own. Uh, Walt Simonson said, this is a quote, to the best of my knowledge, Frank never scripted part two. I never did pencil part one. And the reason was that DD was getting a new regular writer at the time after several fill-ins. The new writer wanted his first issue to come out at the beginning of the summer, the good sales period back then. So our two-parter was put on hold for a few months. And if there's no deadline, the work never gets done. That's an old freelance rule. To just The gist of it is that by the time Marvel was interested in having us work on the story, Frank was off doing Dark Knight and I was off doing X Factor. So it never happened. Uh, too bad. It was a cool story too. So, yeah. Well, good reporting. Yeah. I remember reading that a while back and it's just like this is sort of one of those uh, uh, Sandman library stories that never got made that you'd, <laughs> you'd be very curious to read. Like, yeah. How does, what's Frank Miller's idea of how to follow up on this? Yeah. He didn't see this as an end of Daredevil, even though it reads like, it sort of reads like Frank Miller's like, and now no one can write Daredevil again. Yes. But if he had, was, coming up with a two-part follow-up story, he clearly thought you could continue telling yeah. Daredevil stories. Yeah. Um, I wish we could have seen it. Yep. But we never will. Never will. Um, so, Kevin, now we're going to do a couple episodes of Mailbags to catch up on our email. Yeah, that's mapped so, it so, up. Our, so our new format will be like season of, uh, generally, assuming it's a short season like this, we'll do the full season and then we'll do like three uh, episodes of mailbag or so. I don't know exactly yeah. how many we'll do. We'll see how much mail we have and we'll just churn through a bunch of X-Men comics and do it. And then by that point, we'll know what our next season will be. We'll do that season kind of in its entirety, more probably like blocks of stuff. Yeah. I guess if it's a long season, like if it's like a 10 episode season, for whatever reason, we probably would do mail in the middle. Yeah. Take a mail break in the middle and then do the second half or something. But uh, as always, we're we not don't that know. well planned. Um, but I think it, it felt disjointed to do like Born Again, which was a, uh, what was that, four episodes? Yes. And we spread it out over like two and a half months. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some things like the Moon Knight episode had that we wanted to have out with the release of the Moon we Knight sort of, show. That sort of real, we kind of realized that sort of last minute. But by doing every other episode mailbag, I think it just disjoints the telling of our Born Again stuff. So I think it'd be easier to listen to and also easier for us to record if we're sort of just in the rhythm of we're just talking born again, mm -hmm, we're just talking mm -hmm. X-Men. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that is our tentative our plan. plan. So get ready for a few weeks of mailbag and uh, mutants, mutants and mailbags. And then uh, sometime in there, we'll announce whatever we're covering for our next season, which will probably be Frank Miller's Daredevil. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it won't be. I think we're taking a break from Frank Miller for a while. Yep. Um, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing next, but we're doing we mailbags and mutants are the very next thing. So, uh, all right, everybody, we'll uh, see you next episode. Bye, everyone. Comics. I'm Brian Husky. I'm bald, and I'm Charlie Sanders, and I'm also bald. And we host Bald Talk on the Campfire Media Network. Bald Talk is the podcast where two bald comedians talk to anyone bald about being bald. But this show isn't just for baldies, Brian. Harrows will love it, too. Bald Talk gets into vulnerability, vanity, insecurity, and self-acceptance, reminding us that we all have our respective bald spots. Not that bald spots are a bad thing. No way. I mean, my entire head is one big bald spot. It is one huge, beautiful bald spot, Charlie. Get Bald Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I, I have, like, 
a little bit of hair, but not like you. Like you're really bald. I'm truly bald. Great. I mean, it's I'm great. balder than it. you. You are balder than me. Only on bald talk. Campfire. <laughs>